but it's uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. I am excited. Uh, this is the second message in a message series we started a couple of weeks ago before Mother's Day. By the way, um, I know that, uh, you know, Mother's Day can be challenging for some of you, but how many of you were blessed by that message last week? Come on, that was that was just amazing. I loved it. Uh, I, obviously, it was in particularly uh, just a blessing for me to see my daughter, my wife, and my mother-in-law all share a message on things they've learned from their mother and the spiritual just inheritance that we received. That was just an amazing message. But I'm excited today to get back into the message series, Everyday Saints. I honestly think that this is one of the most important message series, maybe maybe the most important message series that, that I preach all year, as God has just really just been stirring some things in me as a local pastor and just things that I'm seeing in culture and, and this, um, this uh, collision, really, of culture and, and the Christian life and how we are called to live as everyday saints. And if you missed that first message, I just want to encourage you to just go back because really it was the foundation for everything that the Lord has put in my heart to preach to you during this message series. How many of you remember that you are a saint set apart for a purpose to live out every day? You are a saint set apart for a purpose to live out every day. And I truly believe that, that God has called us, and even for such a time as this, he is calling us to... Um, Really, that word to be separate is the word holy. And that's not something we talk about in church a whole lot anymore, but it's something that God is really concerned about. And I believe it's on his heart. It's holiness that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we have been set apart for a purpose to be used in the lives of other people for eternity. In other words, there's a lot of good things that we can do even as the church and even as Christians but we want to focus on the things that are going to make an eternal impact, an eternal difference. Because we don't just live for earth, we're living for heaven. Amen? And so, hey, before I get into um, my message, I just want to give a shout out to our campus in Eureka. Hey, we love you guys, and we just welcome you. So glad that you're joining us. Love you, Pastor Jeremy. And she told the crew up there, so glad that you're joining with us. Also, I just want to welcome all of you who are joining us online. It is so great to be able to have you join us through technology. And uh, so I'm excited for what God, I honestly believe those of you who can't join us and physically be with us here and those in Eureka, God has something specific for you even today. So we just welcome you. We're glad that you're with us. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, before I jump in uh, once again, I want to just highlight something that was shared in Hope News. And I also want to apologize to you as your pastor. Uh, once a year, we do a marriage retreat. And I honestly believe it's one of the most powerful things that we do to help strengthen, equip, and encourage marriages. And uh, this year, we're actually trying something a little bit different. The problem is we, we upped the price of it, and we didn't tell you why. And so that's why I'm apologizing as your pastor this morning, because this marriage retreat is really special, and it's unique. We're, we're bringing in um, just an amazing man, Dr. Larry Shelton, who actually preached at our church last summer, and he's going to preach again after the marriage retreat. But uh, Dr. Larry, he does this um, thing called Soulmates for Life. He has this ministry to help strengthen marriages. And what makes it unique is that you take these assessments before the marriage retreat. And what those assessments do is really just show you uh, how God made you 
and the differences between you and your spouse in marriages. And sometimes we, we wonder, you ever wonder why you fight about the same things over and over? Like there's cycles to your fights, right? Come on, am I the only one? That, that my, my wife and I just, we seems like we fight about the same things over and over. When we do fight, it's like we're stuck in this pattern and we can't get out of it. And sometimes if we're not careful, if we don't do something about that pattern, it will actually sink your marriage. And we wanna help you with that. And so does Dr. Larry. And so what we've done is we've moved the marriage retreat. We had it at Glacier Bible Camp and we moved it here to the church and we're actually gonna provide childcare now. So we wanted to take away anything that would prevent you from coming, being able to come to this marriage retreat because I believe in it so strongly. In fact, when I look at, um, I look at culture today, everything in our world is trying to destroy the family unit. Your marriages are being attacked. Your family is being attacked. As men, we're being attacked in our identity of, of who we are as godly men and how we lead our homes and, and our place. And so I just want to say, if you're even thinking about, if you're engaged, if you're married, if you've been married for 30 years, I, I believe most marriages, and doing marriage counseling, I've come to this conclusion, most marriages fail not because you weren't supposed to be together, or, or because God doesn't want to uh, bring health and healing and, and just life to your marriage. Most marriages fails because we stop working on it. Yeah, that's good. We just put our marriage on autopilot. And when you do that, you're setting yourself up for fail. You, you have to actually work at, at being and continuing in love. And there's some biblical principles to help you in that. So that, that's just my little spiel to say, hey, um, if, if what I just shared with you is stirring in you, sign up for that marriage retreat. We try to make it easy. It's only $130 now, and we've got child care. So you heard it. You could come Friday night. All right. Now I'm ready um, to get into the Word. How many of you love the Word of God? Man, I just love, I love, love, love. The, the Word of God saved, literally saved my life and continually saves my life. And so I just want to bring you the, this main passage that the Lord really just highlighted to me through this message series, Everyday Saints, is out of 1 Peter 2.9. And I think the problem, even setting this up, is when we hear this scripture, this just seems so foreign to most of us. It's just like, I, I, I can't relate to that pastor. Maybe you can because you're a pastor, but for me, sitting in the pew, coming to church, you know, and, and maybe uh, reading my Bible a little bit, uh, I, I don't know how to relate to this. And here's the scripture. It says this, Peter, trying to declare something over you, which I want to declare over you this morning and continue to declare over you. And that's this, but you, say you, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And I know a lot of you, y'all are special <laughs> in, in some good ways, some not so good ways that you may proclaim so that now he sets us up. Listen, he, he reminds us that you're chosen, that you, you're actually royalty because you're in the lineage. Now, when you become into the body of Christ, when you surrender your life to Jesus and he comes alive in you, now you become part of the family. You're part of God's family, which means you're royalty, that you are a priest, you're a saint, and that you've been set apart. Stay on that scripture, if you will. That you've been set apart. Holy means to be set apart. You're a holy nation. Now we as the church, we've been set apart, not just so we can go to heaven someday. That you may declare or proclaim the praises 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you can make that your declaration this morning? That God called you, he sovereignly called you, that all of us at one time, we used to live in darkness in this world, and God called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. He called you and made you holy because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now he set you apart and he made you on purpose for a purpose. But if we're going to be honest with each other, that's where a lot of us get stuck. Well, Pastor Lance, I don't know, what's that purpose? <laughs> and and, and what, how did he make me uh, on purpose? And so um, this morning, I want to set up our, our main passage. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. Now, Jesus, oftentimes, he would, he would speak to people in parables. A parable is just a short story. And what they were is they were allegories, if you will. It was like a picture of a spiritual reality. And so um, I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to just talk about it a little bit. Uh, the title of this whole passage, Matthew chapter 25, verse 15, uh, 14 rather, through 30, is the parable of, in my Bible, in the NIV version anyway, it says the bags of gold. How many are you ready for some bags of gold this morning? Can I get an amen? But, but really, I like a better translation is the, the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. This is Jesus speaking. Who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And the one he gave five bags of gold to another two bags. And to another one bag. Each according to his ability. You want to underline that in your Bible. Then he went on his journey. And the man who had received the bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold came also he said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. Notice he says the same response to the man who gained five more as the man who had two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money 
on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we're so grateful that your word is alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we ask that you would do surgery on us with your word this morning. Father, we open up our hearts to receive everything that you have for us. Right now, we put away all of our thoughts about what we're going to do after service, the, the upcoming week, things that might take away our attention from what you want to do. God, I believe that there's something significant that you want to shift in our hearts. You want to open our eyes to see the things that you have for us to do on this earth while we still have breath in our lungs. And so uh, I ask that you would anoint me, Holy Spirit, to preach your word, not just in word, but in power. And we give you this time now, and we say, have your way. This is your service, not ours. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. And church, can we just take a minute, um, as it has been my custom, just to pray for our nation. Um, would you pray with me? This is, this is something called corporate prayer. It doesn't happen a lot in churches as much as I think it should. And I'm just committed to praying for our nation. I believe we're, we're at a crossroads as a nation, and it's going to take the church rising up to pray for our nation. So as I pray, I want you to lift your voice and pray with me. Would you do that just for a minute? Father, we thank you that we get the honor and privilege to live in the great nation of the United States of America. Father, let us never take it for granted, the great opportunity that we have in a country that is free. Free to worship you, free to share the gospel, free to have church. And Father, um, I pray, God, that you would stir something in us. God, the Holy Spirit, that you would move and bring revival once again to this nation. That you would sweep over this nation with your presence and awaken your people, awaken your church for such a time as this. God, we pray for revival in our nation's capital. Let it begin um, in the White House. Let it begin in Congress. God, I pray that you sweep over those who are leading our country. God, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, his cabinet. We pray for the Senate. We pray for the House uh, uh, representatives. God, we pray for our state legislature and our governor of the great state of Montana. God, would you lead with your supernatural wisdom, your leaders to lead our country back to you, back to our roots and bring revival once again. God, let it begin with us. Let it begin in the church. Forgive us. We repent in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Title of my message to you this morning is The Great Omission. The Great Omission. When I, when I was reading this, this parable, this story uh, of Jesus uh, that Jesus gave, I was struck by a couple of things. The first one is this, that... that um, I believe that Jesus was talking about himself, that he's the master in the story, and that he has given gifts to his people, and he expects something. I, I, I like that he didn't actually have to say what he expected, but two out of the three understood something, that there was this e uh, equality, a, a common understanding, if you will, of what faithfulness looks like. And I think this is uh, something that is being omitted in the church. I, honestly, I take partial responsibility as a pastor of a local church because I believe it's being omitted from the pulpit. 
that we don't talk about the fact that, that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he gave us this thing called the Great Commission. He actually commissioned not just the apostles, but he's commissioned every single believer in Jesus Christ with the Great Commission. And I want to remind you of what that Great Commission is. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he passed down to the apostles our spiritual commission. And I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them, and he said this, All authority, now he, Jesus has risen from the grave, and God has given him authority. And he says, All authority in heaven and in earth, earth has been given to me. Therefore, now he's like, I'm giving you the authority, and I'm empowering you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the authority, and I'm going to empower you to do what I'm asking you to do. He says, therefore, because I have authority, and now I'm imparting it to you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me just pause right there for one second, if we could hold on that scripture. I think for many of us, and I have to admit to you something, I'm not a career pastor, and what that means is, is I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up uh, with this call of God on my life to be a pastor from when I was little. I hear stories of other pastors, yes, I knew I was called to be a preacher, you know, from the time I was 18, God told me. You know, that's not my story. And actually, my journey in defining my purpose in life has been a progressive journey. And, and so I, I, oftentimes I ask God, God, why did you call me into full-time ministry? And it's ironic because I, my wife and I actually came to this church, like almost hopefully all of you, and we walked through those doors just looking for a home church. And I started coming to this church, and I started serving in this church. I started serving in kids' ministry. Come on, praise God. And so here's the moral of the story. If you want to be anointed to do what God, start serving in kids' ministry. No, I'm just kidding. But for me, that was the beginning. I started just serving. Why? Because there was a need. Not because I felt like this great, like the heavens open and God say, Lance, you're supposed to serve in kids' ministry. No, it was nothing like that. It was like, hey, there's a need, and I'm a part of the church. And by the way, I looked down the roads. I got five kids. Yeah, I probably should do that, you know? <laughs> I made up 10% of the kids' ministry, so I might as well help out. But, um, but that was my beginning of my journey. But, and then God would open doors for me to step more and more into the leadership in the church until eventually he called me out of business and he called me into full-time vocational ministry. And um, yet, when I came onto this side, one thing I realized is there is this connotation, there's this lie of the enemy that as you sit in these pews and you come to church, that there's this great divide between the, the, the people in full-time ministry, the pastors, the preachers, the saints, and, and yourself, and the impact that you can have in this life and in your world every single day. But if you're going to have that impact, we cannot, we cannot omit the Great Commission. Like Jesus gave everyone, and let's go back to that, that scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. He calls you to what? Stay in the church, do more Bible studies, have more church services. No, he says, go. In other words, get out of the church. Be an everyday saint. Like, you are called 
to use the gifts that God has given you to do what God has called you to do in your everyday life. So in other words, there's, there's many of you, you might be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might be a school teacher, you, you might be a garbage man, you might work at Walmart. You, I don't know what God has called you to. You, you might be called, you might be a student, you might be called to run for office, but I guarantee you this, whatever God has called you to, he's called you and set you apart for a purpose. He made you with the gifts and he's given you gifts for a purpose and he made you on purpose for a purpose so that you can make disciples. Now, when Jesus said make disciples, what he meant was find people that don't know me and tell them about everything that I taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And by the way, he said all nations. And I think this is part of the problem why we don't accept this great commission is because we hear that and we say, oh, that's for missionaries. Like God didn't call me to Africa, I'm called Cowspell. So, you know, I'm exempt. I'm omitting the Great Commission out of my life because that's for somebody else. And that's what I thought for years. But, you know, that word nations in the original Greek language is the word ethnos. It means actually people group. It means people who are not like you. Now, I believe that could mean, you know, that could mean the bowling club. That's people who are like me. Like, I don't know. I'm just not that into bowling. Maybe you are, but... Those are people that are different than me. And oftentimes we don't see it that way that we're actually have been commissioned by Jesus to share God with people who are not like us, who are different from us. And so here's, here's a spiritual principle that we have to get. We've been set apart, but not so that we could be separate from the world, that we're called to live in it, but not be of it. <laughs> like our souls, our spirits are set apart. We're holy. And yet we're called to be light in the darkness. And if we're going to admit and be honest with each other, I think a lot of us see the things that are happening in our world and in our culture, and we're concerned, right? I'm concerned about the next generation. I'm concerned about my kids. Man, all it takes is just going on social media and scrolling just for a minute. I mean, just crazy things that are happening in our world today. And, And... And if this isn't waking up the church, and I believe as a local pastor, part of the problem that we're seeing culture just going to hell in a handbasket, as it would be said, is because that everyday saints are not making a difference in their everyday lives. We have omitted the great commission out of our life, and we've omitted ourselves from participating in it. I want to give you a definition of omission. Because, you know, I'm a preacher and I like those things and I like definitions. I think definitions bring clarity. And so a mission means a failure to do something, especially something that one has a moral or legal obligation to do, something neglected or left undone, apathy or neglect of duty, choosing what to leave out. I believe that we as the church have omitted this call that God has called you, he sets you apart, he made you on purpose for a purpose, and yet too many of us are not walking that out, living that out every single day. And so this morning, I wanna challenge you. And, and I admit, I, I wrestled with God, this, this is a heavy word, <laughs> but it's okay. Don't worry, it's gonna end good. And by the way, you could go buy yourself some treats and have some coffee and eat some goodies, you know, uh, after service and you'll feel better. But um. <laughs> 
But I believe that there's something that God wants to shift in our hearts. He want, actually, I believe that he wants to do something. Paul talks about opening the eyes of our heart. I believe God wants to open the eyes of our heart. And, and I believe that he wants to open up the eyes of the church's heart. Because too many of us, the way we're approaching our unhappiness or our displeasure or just there's a holy discontentment, I think, that is rising up in the body of Christ. And that is that we're, we're, we're noticing that we're losing our Christian values. And, and, and our reaction isn't to be part of the solution. Actually, we're fueling the problem because what we're doing is we're going on social media and we're hating on people. We're telling them everything they're doing wrong. And we're telling them how much we're against them. And, and we're telling them that they're sinners and they're going to hell. And I could just imagine this is grieving the heart of God. That he's saying, no, 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 no. You're, you're omitting the most important thing. Jesus always approached people in love and grace first. And when, when he won them over with his love, then he would correct them with the truth. But for some reason, we think we need to bang the truth on people's heads and tell them, you know, they better turn or you're going to burn. And God's just saying, oh, but you're omitting something. You're omitting the fact that I love these people and I made them on purpose for a purpose just like I made you. And unless somebody is willing to accept the Great Commission, that you and I have been commissioned by God and we've been given gifts just like the three men in this story. I think it's a beautiful picture that God has gifted you. He's given you special abilities. He's made you a certain way so that, that you can be used by God to make a difference in the lives of other people. And yet we're omitting it out of our lives. The greatest gift that we have we have the very presence of Jesus inside of us. My Bible says that we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead alive in you and alive in me. Now, come on, that should get somebody fired up this morning. So he, he not only commissioned them, but what did he do right after that? He says, but wait, I'm not just gonna give you something to do on your own. <laughs> he says, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Well, how are you going to do that, bro? You're just like, you're floating up to heaven. <laughs> so you just, you just made me a promise. You're always going to be with me, but there you go. And he says, no, wait for it. You got to wait because I'm going to send you the gift. Not only am I going to gift you with a special ability, a grace on your life to do something that is uniquely for you in the body of Christ and for God's glory and for his kingdom, but I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to fill you and give you the supernatural ability. That's grace. Grace isn't just, um, we, we get confused mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. You and I deserve to die a criminal's death on a cross because of our sin. And God said, no, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Jesus said, I'm going to take that on for you. And then I'm going to give you my grace. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. None of us deserve this. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve to be up here. But by the grace of God, he has is, he is not only saved me by grace so that I go to heaven, he's gifted me with a supernatural empowerment while I'm on the earth to live every day for a purpose, on purpose. And so why, why aren't we doing this? Why are we admitting this out of our life? 
I believe there's a couple things that I want to give them to you. The first one is this. For many of us, we don't know. <laughs> Pastor Lance, like, that's cool, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I hear this so many times. Pastor Lance, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I just, I want to be used by God, but I don't know what, what my purpose is. And this is, this is why, I, honestly, this is why some of you are spiritually dried up. You know, this doesn't happen because you're in the church 20 years. You could be sitting in the church for 20, 30, 40 years and not know your purpose. You could be omitting the call of God on your life to do something with your life to make a difference in somebody else's life. And I believe it starts in Proverbs 29, 18, gives us a clue about this. I'm gonna use the King James Version. It says, but where there is no vision, that word vision actually means prophetic revelation. So it means that, that all of us, when we don't have any, when we don't have a, a God moment, when, when God doesn't open, we don't have our, we can't see what God is doing and we don't know what we're, what we're called to in life. Like I've got no vision for my life. I don't understand what my purpose is. I don't know. This is the result. You perish. In other words, you, you start to spiritually die little by, now this doesn't happen right away. And he's not talking about a physical death, but what he's talking about is slowly something begins to die inside of you. And, and, and you start to do this, you start to live reactively rather than proactively. And this is where most of us, this is where we live most of the time, if we're gonna be honest with each other. We're just living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, just living for the weekend. And we react to the circumstances which we find ourselves in. Instead of being proactive in understanding that I have a purpose, that God made me on purpose for a purpose, and I'm gonna live every single day in that purpose that God has called me to. And this is why too many of us, we're, we're busier than we've ever been. And I hear from people all the time, Pastor Lance, man, I'd love to serve in the church, but I'm just too busy. That's why, you know, we're I'm talking, having conversations with our youth directors, and I love them, and I love their heart. They might be young, but let me tell you, they got the right heart because they want to disciple your kids. They recognize that your children, your, your, especially your high schoolers, man, if you're if your parent, I got two of them. Man, there's never been more of a dangerous time to be a teenager. The world is just dragging them to hell, and, and they're, they're dealing with stuff we as adults, we never had to deal with in the history of the world. And man, do they need Jesus more than ever? And do we need help as parents and as the church to come around and support them? That's why we're doing this thing in the summer called Prime. Do you know what that is? That's equipping your children with a biblical worldview because they're getting a different worldview out there. Trust me, every single day, there is an agenda that this world has that wants to take you and your kids away from the purposes of God in your life. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, even as parents, we'll start to put what we want to see our kids on our kids. And we'll start to live vicariously through their life. And so I want my kid to be a basketball star, so I'm gonna take them all over the country and, and, and they're, gonna, you know, they're gonna go to every basketball camp and they're gonna be at everything. It's all wonderful. I, my kids are in sports, it's great. But when sports become a God over your God, then you confuse your kids. Well, what's most important in my life? Is, is, it, is it growing up in the things of God and understanding the things of God? No. 
And so what it does is it leads into the second thing that I believe why we're omitting this out of our life is that you start living for a counterfeit purpose. You know, with every mission God gives us, there's a shadow mission. There's a, there's a, there's a, a counterfeit. This is exactly what the enemy of our souls does full time. This is his job to kill, steal, and destroy the, the purpose of God in your life. Why? So you admit to engage in that purpose and you admit, you omit out of your life the Great Commission to make disciples. You understand that, that we are getting confused with faithfulness. One of the things I love about this passage of scripture, this parable that we read, is because too many of us think faithfulness is showing up to church every week. It's going to Bible study. It's doing my Devo in the morning on my Bible app. Can I tell you something? That is not biblical faithfulness. Look at what Jesus said to, this, this sounds pretty harsh, I admit it. <laughs> you wicked, lazy servant. Who told you? Sounds familiar. Remember in the garden? When God came to Adam and Eve, who told you? <laughs> who told you that? And this is the problem. Too many of us, we, we're living lies because we believe lies about ourselves and about what God would call you to. And you have a real enemy of your soul that wants you to follow a counterfeit purpose for your life. I've seen it in my own life. There's many times where I could look back and I could see there's a fork in the road and I gotta make a decision. Which road am I gonna go down? One of them is a counterfeit. One of them's what God's will is for my life. And too many of us, we're living counterfeit purposes. We're living shadow mission. So, you know, the enemy doesn't need to do a whole lot to rob you if he could just distract you. <laughs> and we're living in the most distracted age ever. Too many of us, our, our shadow mission or our counterfeit purpose, we're, we're hunting elk and, we're, and there's nothing wrong with hunting. I got nothing, nothing wrong with that. But that, when that becomes more important than the per, living out the purpose that God has for you, then that's a problem. Then you have made a God of hunting. And it has become your counterfeit purpose. Too many of us, we're, we're doing a lot of good things and we're doing a lot of things in our life. But if the things we're not doing aren't fueling the purpose for which God made you and you're not actually stepping out every day when you get up living proactively in that purpose, maybe you're pulled away from a counterfeit. By a counterfeit. Look at Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to what? the pattern of this world. In other words, there's a pattern, there's, there's a way of living every day that this world will suck you into. It's a counterfeit. So instead of having a real relationship, he'll get you to spend an hour scrolling through Facebook, like, don't like, heart, comment, and you'll have this pseudo, like, life that's not real life. Can I remind you that that's not real French? Like it's great. For, it has its purpose. Don't get me wrong. I'm on it. I use it. It's got a purpose. Stay connected with people. But that ain't real relationship. You actually need to sit down with people and talk to them and spend time with them. And there, if the devil could keep you so busy that you don't have time to explore your purpose, to find out how God made you, and to be in relationship with other people, to come to church. Man, how's that ever going to happen? He says, don't conform, Paul says, to the pattern of this world because the pattern will suck you out of the will of God. 
He says, but be transformed. How am I going to be changed? How am I going to stop omitting the purpose of God in my life and start walking in the destiny for which he made me? How is that going to happen, Pastor Lance? Well, here it is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You got to think different. You got to see different. And that doesn't just happen on its own because God just zaps you all of a sudden. Now you're, no, it happens daily, every single day as you get up and you pursue God and seek him. You read his word, you find out more and your, your mind just gets renewed. But then it goes this, it goes on to say this. This might be the most important part. You don't know what God's will is for your life because your mind is on the things of this world. I honestly believe that most of our promises were too attached to the world and not, not attached enough to Jesus. He says, because then when you do this, then you'll know what God's will is. You'll be able to test it. You'll be able to, uh, approve, he'll, he'll approve it for you. And you'll know his good, his pleasing and perfect will for your life. Now it's funny, um, there, there are, you could see this happening in culture. There's a new movie coming out about Elvis. How many Elvis fans out there? Come on, my blue suede shoes. Come on. Um, no, I'm an Elvis fan. I, I, I love Elvis. And many of you probably rejoice that when Elvis, and, and some of you probably don't know this about him, but when Elvis first started out, he felt the call of God, God on his life. He actually was in the church and he was doing gospel music in the church. Now, I honestly think that God called him to be a worship pastor. But he found this counterfeit purpose that he got pulled into by the world. And he started to use the gift that God gave him to bring God glory and praise in a counterfeit way that even himself later in life, he couldn't live with himself. I also believe this is why he ended up taking his life because he knew that he did not, he did not follow that purpose. And so it pulled him away this counterfeit purpose for his life. In fact, I want to read to you a quote from his wife, Priscilla Presley, um, because I think, you know, many of us don't understand this. She said this, I think Elvis would always be part of music, no matter what. But she told Matt Lawyer um, on the Today Show, she said it was in his blood. She said, I don't know that he'd be in rock and doing rock and roll right now. Listen, she said, I think that maybe he'd be going into gospel, maybe even preaching a little bit. He loved to teach and he loved the Bible. But he got sucked into this counterfeit purpose for his life that the world just sucked him in. And too many of us are falling into the same trap. If we're not careful, we'll end up living our life that way. There's so many people, I could tell you, Katy Perry grew up in the church, Christian parents, started out in a worship team. She ended up right now, I don't know what she's, what she's doing, but she, I had to tell you, she ain't bringing glory to God. Justin Bieber. I know I got some Bieber fans out there, but it was really cool. My wife and I, um, we heard this, her, her mom, uh, her mom, his mom, uh, his mom gave a testimony one time when Justin Bieber, just before he got famous, when he was 14 years old, he went to this youth, um, it, was, it was a youth uh, conference. And at the youth conference, it was prophesied over him that he would be used to change the world and that his gift would be used. So much so that there was 20 year olds that picked him up on his shoulders at this conference and marched him around in the presence of God. 
just signifying that you're going to be used by the next generation, that there's, there's a gift on your life. And then right after that, he became Justin Bieber and got famous and fame and fortune. And yeah, he might be dabbling in some things in, in, in the church and in Christian life, but could you imagine the kind of influence that he would have if, if he actually completely gave himself to the purpose of God? Could you imagine? I think he's got one of what, the most followers ever. Now, now take that and, and put it up against the likes of Tim Tebow. I'm a big Tebow fan. Couldn't throw the ball real good, but you know, he was an awesome guy. And he won the Heisman Trophy. And there's this story that was in ESPN. This is so cool. By Adam Sheffer, who, who covers football's well-known ESPN um, analyst and reporter. And he wrote this article, check this out. In, in the 2009, the BCS, that's the college championship uh, game, Tim Tebow felt compelled by the Lord to, they put black you know, under their eyes so that the, the light kind of gets away, glare gets off of their eyes. And he decided instead of just putting a black smear, he was going to put John 3.16. And so he did that. He said he wore that on his eyes. And, and you know, the, John 3.16, hopefully do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What you don't know is that that day that he wore that, there was more Google searches for John 3.16 than ever in the history of the world. Because he decided to be used for a purpose greater than just himself. And check this out. Now, Adam Sheffer wrote this article, and he's like, is this a coincidence? He says, on January 8th, 2012, three years, three to the date, he caused millions of football fans to Google the meaning of 316. Tebow played in his first NFL playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in that game, Okay, three years later, in that game, Tebow, Tebow, Tebow threw for 316 yards. 316. Not only gets better, Tebow averaged 31.6 yards per completion, the highest single game postseason completion average in NFL history. Ben Roethlisberger, man, I can't talk today. Come on, get it together, Pastor. Ben Roethlisberger's second quarter interception, which led to Matt Prater field goal and a 17-6 Broncos lead came on third and 16. The Steelers finished the game with a time of possession of 31.06, <laughs> 31 minutes, 6 seconds. And the time Tim Tebow threw the game-winning 80-yard touchdown pass to Demetrius Thomas is the NFL's longest postseason pass in overtime history. CBS final corner hour overnight ratings were, yes, 31.6. When this string of 316 facts was relayed to one of the NFL's executives this week, he paused and said, is that right? I'm converting. So come on. So here's the deal. You and I have a choice. We can omit the gifts of God to be used for his kingdom and his glory. You have three choices. You can use it for God's glory. You can choose to use it for your own benefit. Or you could just omit it out of your life. And you've got to choose. Because here's the deal. Here's the next point. Is that too many of us are apathetic about that calling. We're apathetic about it. Look at how, how God saw faithfulness. God saw faithfulness not because 
uh, one guy made more, had more of a return than the others. No, he saw faithfulness. It didn't matter if the guy who had five bags made five bags or the guy who had two bags made two bags. He said the same thing to both of them. Good, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. Jesus equates faithfulness with multiplication. The other man he called wicked and lazy. Why? Not because he lost anything. And this is the problem in our Christian everyday saint lives. Too many of us are too focused on sins of commission. That means we commit a sin and we're just living the Christian life trying not to commit sin. And Jesus comes to this man and he says, you wicked, lazy servant, I know you didn't do anything wrong, but you didn't do anything right. You omitted the fact that I've given you life, I've given you gift, I've given you children, I've given you a job, I've given you resources, I've given you unique abilities and giftings to invest in other people's lives, to multiply them and see the kingdom advance. I didn't give it to you so you can just, hey, wait a minute, God, I got it for you. It's back here. Let me dig it up. And too many of us are, are literally sitting on gold. You are sitting on, there are hidden gifts in the church. Some of you need to step into places that God is calling you to because you are gifted and you're just sitting on that gift. Look at what he said. That word lazy is the Greek word okoneros. It means to delay, slow, tardy, slothful, lazy. It carries the idea of a person who has a do-nothing, lethargic, lackadaisical, apathetic, indifferent, lukewarm attitude towards life, spiritual life. If we're going to be honest with each other, that's where a lot of us land. We're, we're just, we're not doing anything with what God has given us, not for the kingdom. We're doing things maybe for our benefit, but not for the kingdom benefit. And unless the church wakes up that we are omitting the greatest thing that God has given you and me. Listen, if he didn't want to use you for a purpose, on purpose, when you got saved, he'd just zap you up to heaven. But you're here. You're sucking air. That tells me God wants, it doesn't matter how young you are. Young people, you think, I'm omitting this out of my life because I'm too young. God can't use me. Do you know, I love our youth right now is talking about heroes of the Bible. And they're all heroes that are under the age of 20. Some of them 14 years old, 12 years old, mightily used by God. Some of us, you're old in the room and you've said, yeah, I'm, I'm retired, man. I'm on the bench right now. Hey, you ain't dead. God's going to use you for a purpose. I love it. My, my dad is here visiting with me right now. My dad it just turned 76 last month. And he's telling me he's excited. He's reading his Bible. He's getting his message together because he's going to go home and, and he's going to preach at a, at a uh, retirement home in center. And I'm like, I love it. Man, my, he's, my, he's 76, but he ain't, he ain't retired. He's refired. He's got, there's a fire in him and he wants to use something. But this is the last one that I believe holds us back from stepping in and omitting that purpose. It's fear. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid, so I hid your money. I was afraid. And this is where a lot of us stand. We're afraid to step out in faith. We're afraid to talk to people about Christ. In fact, um, I'm dedicating a whole message in this series because we don't talk about this enough in church. How many of you in the last year have shared Jesus with somebody? How, how many? You don't have to raise your hand. 
I don't want to, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody this morning or single anybody out. But statistically speaking, 87% of believers don't share their faith. And a lot of them don't know how, but a lot of us, it's that we're just too afraid. We're afraid of man. We're afraid of what other people will think of us. We're afraid of, of, of this being awkward and people thinking, oh, you're holy roller. You're weird. You're one of those Jesus freaks. Well, yes, I am. <laughs> and because he saved my life. And so I'll be a freak for him every day. <laughs> I shouldn't have named the message series Everyday Freaks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I love what John Wimber used to say. He used to say faith equals risk. Like we cannot live in faith and not take, take risks. So real quick, I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you this quote because I think it's important. I'm going to give you a couple things just to write down. I don't have time to go through each one of them. But I want you to, I want you to take them down. And I want you to, this week, I want you to think about them. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to just let it come in your heart. But there's this quote. If you're a DC Talk fan, you're going to remember this. It's from Brennan Manning, actually. Not DC Talk, by the way. But he says this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door of church, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelieving. Not, we're denying him, we're omitting this life every day that God has for you and for me. So what's the answer? Number one, you gotta accept the mission. Accept it. I'm a big Mission Impossible fan. Dun, 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 dun. Tom Cruise, come on, ladies. Dun, 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 dun. Hanging on to the airplane, come on. But I love how every one of them, actually I like the old ones. The old ones are really cool. And um, I love how they, they open every time. It is, there's a mission, but what does he always say at the end of the mission? If you choose to accept it. And then it disintegrates. It's cool. But you have to accept the mission of God that he's given. You, you can, you got to take personal responsibility. This isn't just for pastors or preachers. This is for everyday, everyday, common, ordinary people like you and like me that we have to actually accept the mission of God and accept the personal responsibility that it's not just for you, pastor, it's for me. And what's my place in it? And, and if you're going to find out what your place in it, you're going to need the second thing is you're going to need to know God. You're going to need to know him. You have to get to personally know God. Like, it's not enough to just come to church and read. You got to know God. And out of that relationship, he's going to birth purpose in you. He's going to show you what that thing is to do. And so as you know God, and the more you know God, I like to say it like this, if you want to know yourself, know God, because he created you. Too many people start with trying to find myself. I'm try Pastor, I'm just trying to find myself. You want to find yourself? Find God. <laughs> the more you know God, the more you know yourself. And too many of us don't know ourselves. That's why we have a Discover class here at Hope Church. That's a class we have specifically to help you discover the gifting, the passion, the purpose that God is. Every month we do it, and it never ceases to amaze me how many people just omit that. Some of you need to go through that class because you don't know. And it's cool if you don't know, but now you know, because I told you. <laughs> and the last thing is this. The last thing is that you, you, we have to start where we are, start with what you know, 
and who you are. You don't know where to start. Where do I begin, pastor? Okay, you got me. I wanna, I wanna step into this purpose. Start with what you know. What do you already know? You know that God has given you this commission in Matthew 20, chapter 28 to go. I'm a part of that. You're a part of it. You know that God has called you to be a godly husband. Why? There's things that the Bible, you don't have to like seek. All you have to do is read this book. Start with what you know. Maybe there's a word that God spoke over you a long time ago. Start with what you know already and where you are. So don't quit your job and go into full-time ministry. Start where God has you right now. If you're teaching in school, start being used by God as a teacher. If you're a student, start by being used by God in your school. If, if you're in construction, start by, hey guys, before we start this morning, why don't we pray? Yeah, that's cool. Do I need to take my hat off? You know, whatever. But do something. Start with what you know and where you are. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need a theology degree. Start with what you know and where you are. James says it like this. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in the mirror and, and forgets their face, forgets what he looks like when they go away. You won't know who you are until you start, actually until some of us start doing what we already know. So I'm gonna end um, in a unique way, and I know it's, <clears throat> it's getting late, but there's a friend of mine in this church, in fact, he's in this service right now, that I love his story. And, and I think it'll, it'll encourage you to hear his story. So we're gonna play that. My name's Aaron McPherson, and uh, I've been coming to Hope for a number of years now. I moved up to Montana about 18 years ago. In fact, in, in May, on May 21st, it'll be 18 years. And I was really moving up here to escape, uh, escape the, I'd just gotten, gotten out of jail. I was uh, deep into a drug addiction. And I was really coming up here uh, in a backslidden state, um, running away from all my problems. You know, fortunately, uh, God in his just grace, in his kindness, uh, he reached out to me yet again uh, when I came up here and got a hold of me and just really started a, a process at that point of recommitting my life to, to God, being obedient in areas that he uh, challenged me in early on in recovery, early on in my, my Christian walk. Through that obedience, uh, a lot of spiritual growth took place. All these good things started happening in my life. Um, I had a moving company for about 10 years. W wouldn't you know it, most of the employees that would, would come work for me, they all, they all struggled with uh, either active drug addiction or it was in their very near past or, or alcoholism. And so here I was, uh, God had uh, saved me was sanctifying me, had delivered me from drugs and alcohol, delivered me from the power of sin and the controlling power of sin over my life, and had put me in an environment where I was um, a business owner, and 90% of the guys that worked for me, um, I was able to witness to on a daily basis uh, uh, in, in how I was living my life and what God had done for me. I thought it was always kinda, um, cool how God uh, put me in an environment where I could be salt and light. I mean, these were guys that uh, I related to, that related to me. And here I was um, 
working with them shoulder to shoulder every day. You know, fast forward a couple years ago, I um, sold my moving business, worked for another moving company, and back in about 2019, just kind of felt um, a little bit defeated. I was in a job that wasn't really liking it too much and really felt like I was at a place where God was was wanting me to, to do more for him. And you know, a couple years ago, I kind of had a lot of time on my hands and I wanted to give of what God had given me uh, back to him. And so what I'm doing now is is running Absolute Ministries. And Absolute Ministries Kalispell is a organization that we, we desire to come alongside men that have just completed an inpatient rehab program. Uh, we desire to surround them in, in Christian community. Uh, we desire to, um, you know, mentor them, uh, disciple them, and essentially get them on the path uh, that God has for them, help them find their mission and calling uh, that they have in Christ Jesus, plug them into a local church, plug them into the body of Christ so that they, be, they can become, uh, they, they can begin to walk out what, what God has for them. If you would have asked me like 10 years ago, what do you think you're going to be doing, Aaron? Uh, it, it, it wouldn't have anything to do with what I'm doing now. But, you know, there's there's various times, and there's been various times in my life where uh, God specifically speaks to me and challenges me in an area of obedience. And it's when I have surrendered to His uh, prompting when I have surrendered to his uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit his grace and his power and his strength just just rushes in man I live out my life and ministry uh, just trying to be a everyday saint trying to be everything that God has uh, called me to be come on can we give it up for Jesus that was awesome and hey maybe God would put it on your heart to Find Aaron, talk to him about what God has put on his heart and come alongside Absolute Ministries and support it in, in some way. But I believe whatever it is, you need to know that God has called you to something. That you were made on purpose for a purpose. I want, to, I want to just pray for you as we close our service today. And I want to just ask, man, how many of you would be so bold to say, Pastor Lance, yeah, I, I feel like I've omitted this out of my life. Like I'm not living the great commission. I'm not living my life on purpose. I've been apathetic. I, I've lived in fear of stepping out in faith. I followed a, a counterfeit, I'm following a counterfeit purpose. And today I hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna to respond to that. How many of you just say, Pastor Lance, that's me, and I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. Come on, just lift your hands. This isn't a shameful thing. God bless you. God bless you. Hands up all over. And maybe you're here today, and, and, and you're stirred in your spirit that you don't know God. And because you don't know God, you're, you're just living life day to day, but you don't have any real purpose. We're going to have our prayer team over here to the right. Today's the day you can make a decision. You could surrender your life to Jesus and say, God, I want to I give you my life just like Aaron did. 
Would you call me out of the darkness that I'm in? Into your light and into the light of your love and freedom and forgiveness and peace and joy. So I could live the life that you made me for. We would love to pray for you. Make that decision today. Now, would you stand to your feet? Pastor Jeremy, you can take over the service in Eureka. Would you just lift your hands right now? I actually feel like there's some of us that we really need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us. Father, would you just forgive us for going our own way, for omitting the Great Commission out of our lives, for not living for the purpose for which you called us to. God, right now, we choose to surrender to you. We say, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh and anew. Open our eyes to see what you're doing and what you have for us. Open our heart to be changed, to step into the people that you've called us to be. I ask for fresh grace, God, to come on your people to empower us to be everything you've made us to be as we surrender to you.